Welcome to the Rocking Life podcast, Rocking Life After Divorce. And today we have Tom in the studio. How are you doing today? Fantastic, parents. Great to see you. This is so much fun. I say that pretty much every episode. I love interviewing people. I'm a very curious detective and trying to figure out what happened in your divorce and if you can learn something from you today. I already know a lot about your story because you have your own podcast and TikTok show. This is going to be such an exciting episode. But you have gone through two divorces. You know, I'm not for divorce, but when you go through divorce, you can do it in a good way and you can do it in a very, very bad way. And it's so sad to see people end up in divorces that really destroys the family. But, you know, the reason why I started this podcast was a year and a half ago in the beginning of COVID and uh, just to bring hope to people. So I interview people and uh, see what can we learn and what can we learn not to do from divorce and to bring hope to people that are navigating divorce currently. And uh, you're going to start with a little story from your divorce. What was that all about? Well, again, thanks for having me, Per. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And I'm, I think this is going to be a fun conversation and I hope everybody enjoys it. Something that happened that I think is kind of an important thing. And it was a watershed moment, not just in my divorce, but in my life. It's a longer story and I'm sure we'll talk more about it. But a buddy and I went to dinner and this is just 24 hours after my now ex-wife had made the final decision and announcement that we were getting a divorce. And I was devastated. Despite multiple affairs, I still wanted to save the marriage. I was in love. Or at least I thought I was. And I wanted to save the marriage. And I made some uncharacteristic decisions for me to be kind of a jerk. And anybody who knows me, they know I'm a happy guy. It's hard for me to get angry. I don't really have a temper. I can count on literally one finger the number of times I've yelled at anyone in my life guy named Rusty, in case anyone's wondering. This buddy and I went to dinner and I was telling him how proud I was of myself that I had maintained this uncharacteristic anger throughout the entire day. I'd kind of been a jerk to my soon-to-be ex. And again, I, I, you know, there's never any abuse. There's nothing like that. It's just, I was just a dick. And I was proud of myself. And he said, Tom, there's a better way. And I think we should talk more about that. But I mean, he basically taught me that night how to be a better person throughout my divorce. And it's a really important thing, I think, for all of us. Yeah, I can relate so much. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on in the podcast. And when my divorce was initiated, I was actually served divorce papers on the airport coming in from Sweden. It was quite a few things that wasn't accurate, if you put it nicely. And because uh, of uh, the inaccuracies in the divorce, I decided to get become very hostile myself and getting the best, so-called, quote, best lawyer in town and uh, a very hostile lawyer. It cost me so much money just to make that stupid mistake. And of course, that's going to make my uh, wife extremely fearful. And that started a downward spiral in the divorce. And that was the biggest mistake I made to, to get this lawyer. And after three weeks, we went to court and he called my wife a whore in court. And I fired him instantly. Typical thing that lawyers do in these divorces because they fight for each other's client, but it just becomes so wrong in so many cases. And uh, I know you have a similar story and I'd love to know more about your story of the divorce. And if you want to share a little bit more about what you've learned. 
So I think it's important, as you mentioned in the, in the intro, I've been through two divorces. So let's, let's get the first one out of the way first. Yeah. It happened back in, uh, almost 20 years ago now, and it was hotly contested and it, we were young. We didn't have a lot of stuff. The fact that we fought over not a lot of stuff is kind of dumb. Yeah. I see that every day of my life in the business that I'm in now, but we spent 18 months fighting over nothing and $40,000. And if I remember correctly, I ended up with the blender and that's pretty much it. And I don't know if you've ever seen <laughs> the jerk with Steve Martin. Yeah. He's walking down the street and he's got his remote control and he's in his bathroom. That's kind of how I felt that I was destitute because I just spent everything I had and a lot more on attorneys to be able to walk out carrying a blender. And I will say, I, I never talk bad about my first ex-wife because she is an amazing mother to my children and she raised our boys better than I could have ever done. And I was a very involved co-parent. But, you know, they lived at her house. They went to school where she lived. I mean, that was their home. And let's all admit that. And she was wonderful, but not during the divorce. She made a completely stupid offer. And I thought my attorney was going to punch me in the face when I told him about it. I was just so tired of fighting. I said, let's settle. And she said, what are you offering? And I actually offered to sign over every other paycheck um, until our youngest was 18. Just whatever. There you go. The true 50, 50. Yeah. And she said, Tom, that's not even close to enough. I'm going to take you for everything. Uh Oh, now, if anybody has ever said that shame on you. I mean, the fact of the matter is neither party is happy in this relationship. Someone may have done something wrong. Someone must may have said or cheated or whatever the case may be. But the fact is you're not going to get more by being a jerk. And, but because she said that I instantly knew there was no way to settle this. I mean, a 50, 50, a true 50, 50 offer. Wow. She should have taken that because I did hire an attorney. I spent a ton of money on attorneys and she got much less than 50, 50. Again, that was a dumb offer on my part. I shouldn't have done that. But after 18 months, uh, it was finally signed. We actually did finally reach a settlement agreement and everything was fine. I remarried shortly thereafter, way too shortly thereafter. As we get into things that we've learned, that's one of them is take some time, uh, heal yourself. But my second divorce came about, it's never a result of infidelity. Infidelity is a symptom of other issues in your marriage, but my second ex-wife, and that's the only one, when I say my ex-wife, that's who we're talking about from this point forward. I refer to her as Trinity. That is not her real name, but Trinity in 2016 began having an affair with one of our coworkers. We worked for the same company at the time. And I didn't know about it until February of 2017. Within five minutes of finding out about the affair, I actually had made the decision that I would forgive her. And it took less than five minutes for me to make that decision. And the reasons behind that are legion. I mean, there's so many reasons. One of them is I was in love with her. One of them is that I was addicted to being part of a couple. I was afraid that I would never find anyone again. And, but the, I think the most important one, and I still believe this one is hundred percent valid is that refusing to forgive is like volunteering to have cancer. I think that 
bottling up anger and resentment and hatred towards somebody else, no matter what they've done to you. It'll kill you as the host of that cancer, but it's also going to negatively affect everyone around you. If that becomes your defining thing is that you just, oh my gosh, I hate my ex-wife or my ex-husband. Uh, and so I think that forgiveness is just an important thing. I think uh, forgiveness is crucial. I like your definition. A lot of people say unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person is going to die. It's very, very unhealthy. And a lot of people have a hard time to forgive. I think forgiveness, it's a decision. It's not a feeling. And the feelings will come later on a lot of times, depending on how big of an offense it is. But if you have a, a daily attitude of forgiveness, I think, uh, or a practice, it becomes a lot easier than if you keep holding on to stuff, like you just said, bottling up cancer inside of you. I really like that uh, explanation because it uh, becomes toxic in you and in any part of your surroundings. Yes. Was, what was the main reasons why it got so toxic? Is that uh, the lawyers or did you and your ex-wife handle it poorly or could you have done anything different? I think if she were here today, she would probably agree with me and we'll probably never know. But I wanted it to just be over, I think is the, is the bottom line. I was just trying to finish. And so I, I got very impatient when I would ask her a question she would go back to her attorney and of course it would take three or four days to get an answer to anything. And I got very frustrated because what I learned through that process is that all of the deadlines imposed by the courts aren't real. Yeah. Just because you have 30 days to respond doesn't mean you only have 30 days to respond. You have as long as the judge wants to give you. Yeah. And, and judges, I'm sorry to say this, they don't give a shit. Yeah. I mean, th this isn't their divorce. Yeah. And so if my first ex's attorney wants to take 60 days when she could only, supposed to only take 30, she can. And by the way, she's milking my ex for, for attorney's fees throughout the whole process. So there's no incentive for them to hurry up. So I became very impatient, which is where that ridiculous offer came from, by the way. I, I think the first step would be just understanding that you don't need attorneys for every divorce. That's the first yeah. thing I think both of us would have done differently. Uh, the second thing is, is that if you are going to use attorneys, which are highly recommended in some cases, I think find attorneys that they're not going to pad their wallet with your hours, which unfortunately it's hard to know that ahead of time. Yeah. I just interviewed another guy uh, a few weeks ago and where they actually got one attorney together, you know, he can only represent one person, but. They wrote everything down on, uh, on pieces of paper, and this is what they want. Can you just make sure that the paperwork is done? And it, it cost them a very little amount of money. It's similar to our divorce, I think, where you're just facilitating all the paperwork for the, the divorce instead of just having two lawyers fighting it out and taking, you know, our divorce took 18 months and cost a buttload of money. It's just sick. It, it is. It's disgusting. And think of it this way, Per. A divorce in the U.S. is finalized once every 42 seconds. And the average divorce, even the guy you interviewed just a week ago who didn't spend much at all, if you add his in, you have all the people who do it on free sites and all this other stuff, the average divorce costs $11,000 in attorney's fees. Yeah. So that's $8 billion a year that we're paying to attorneys to get divorced. And I contend, and I don't have any way to back this up, I contend that at least half of those 
could be done amicably online if people would just take one step back and say, I'm going to work with my soon-to-be ex one more time. Yeah, I think it's so sad when uh, so many couples, including my own, uh, where you end up alienated from each other, where you've spent a large portion of my life together and we have four awesome kids. In, in general, I look at my marriage as a success, even though it ended up in divorce. Initially in my divorce, I felt like a failure for a couple of years, but then I started to reevaluate and say, you know, I was so focused on the negative because it ended up in divorce and I felt like a failure, and especially what, what are other people going to think about me? But when I look at it, we have four amazing kids. We spent, you know, the majority of, of our marriage was over 20 years was positive. There was so many positive things, but I tended to view all the negatives. How does your recent breakup compare to your divorce in terms of emotions and pain? After my second divorce, I met a woman. She's wonderful. She's beautiful. She's talented. She's, you know, she's everything that any guy could ever dream of wanting to be with. I felt fortunate to be with her. And we started dating just a few months after the divorce and dated for 11 months before we actually moved in together. And then just two and a half months later, without warning and without reason, she ended the relationship very abruptly. And what's interesting is that it has taught me, I've become very grateful to her uh, for doing that. And the reason I've become grateful is because I spent the last two years feeling betrayed by my ex-wife for her infidelity. All of these feelings of betrayal and treachery and anger and resentment, I thought it was all due to the infidelity. But when my girlfriend dumped me just a few months ago, I had the exact same feelings, but they were actually more intense. I felt more betrayed. And I, and I really took some time to think about that and wonder, and cause I was like, wait a minute, I've spent two years thinking it was all about infidelity, but it's not, these are the same emotions. And this is even worse. And there was no infidelity in that situation. And I realized, and this is something that I'm, I, I struggle to put into words, but I think it, the best way I can say it is I believe that the frustration that I felt and the emotions that I felt were due to both of these two women without any outward consideration of my thoughts or feelings decided on my future. They yeah. took away my planned future. My ex and I, Trinity, we had retirement plan. We knew where we were going to live. We had all sorts of stuff. And then just all of a sudden one day, yeah, no, we don't anymore. And my whole future that was so mapped out was now just a big blur or nothingness. And by the way, I think the reason that the, the feelings were more acute after the breakup were because 24 hours prior to her ending the relationship, we were sitting on the couch together, looking at our retirement plans, financial plans. We were, we were going to buy an RV trailer that was 24 hours earlier. And just a week before that, we were talking about marriage. I mean, there were so many things that were leading towards a future. And then all of a sudden, wham, it's gone. And I think that's why it's such an acute pain and why it hurts so bad. Who knows what my future brings? I'm looking forward to it and yeah. I'm having a great time, but it's all very blurry and gray right now. Yeah. Emotions can be tricky to handle and, um, going through a divorce, it was pretty much my first time that I had to really deal with deep sorrow and, uh, 
you know, a depression. I, I've never been depressed before. I never had to deal with these. And I think men in gen general, a little bit harder time to deal with emotions and being vulnerable and open. And that's something that I really learned about my divorce is to start to open up because prior to the divorce, I would not share my mm. deepest uh, sorrows and difficulties with other people. After the divorce, I started roommating with a friend. He's my best friend now. I can share anything with him. And we have a great friendship. He's remarried now, and uh, we still have an awesome time together, playing golf, uh, hanging out on a regular basis. But we started talking because he went through a divorce himself, you know, just before me. And uh, I was able to start opening up about how I felt. And I think that's so crucial, feel good, and to be able to process these emotions that you're going through. So what did you learn from both, you know, the divorce and this prior breakup? Is it something that you feel like you have become a better person? It's interesting. I want to go back and kind of piggyback on what you just said. Because when we mentioned earlier that I found out about her first affair back in 2017, and I, well, a couple of years later, she began another affair, but this one was an emotional affair. Her, and I'll, you know, put air quotes around boyfriend, because, you know, what do you call someone who's your emotional affair partner? Her emotional affair partner, her boyfriend, lived in Philadelphia, and we lived in Salt Lake City. So there was no real opportunity for a physical affair. I'm positive it would have become one if they had lived closer together, but it was a purely emotional affair. Ultimately, she ended up leaving me for him. Yeah, so I, I will say that I was going to compare her first affair to her second affair because her first affair, which was a sexual affair, both of her affairs were, were with married men who I worked with. And the first one, we, we met with a therapist. I remember I had chosen to forgive her therapist, uh, who said, Tom, you cannot rely on Trinity to be your support during this. You need to have an outside support person. And I said, okay, well, I'll call my brother, Dave. He's my best friend. You know, just like you had your best friend, I said, I'll call my best friend. And Trinity said, oh no, don't call Dave. He'll hate me. But I, I said, okay, I guess I won't call Dave. I'll call Marco. Remember? Marco, who plays a big role coming forward, you know, two years later. And she goes, oh, don't tell Marco. He'll tell everyone. And so we went through this list and being addicted to couplehood, I didn't have a lot of guy friends. And so I didn't have a long list of people to go through that I didn't already work with, which she didn't want. And so we ended up, we settled on this one guy who's a mutual friend, but he's not that close of a friend. And so... We went to dinner one time. I told him what was going on. He goes, well, that sucks. And that was the, as much support as I got. And what that meant was that I carried her sins on my shoulders myself. She had told all her friends and she told her counselor and her therapist and her sister. I mean, she had a whole bunch of people that she was talking to through this. I had one guy who I spoke to one time. Well, two years later, when she started her next affair, I said to her, I said, look, I don't plan on, you know, getting it on Facebook and making an announcement or anything, but I want you to know that I am going to be talking to my, my network and I'm going to be relying on my network for support, not just for this one, but for the last one, no matter what happens for, during, for our marriage, whether we save it or not, your past sins are going to be known by a few people. And I did, I shared it with my family. I shared it with my friends. Again, not like sitting around going, can you believe this bitch? Nothing like that no. it was, I need, I needed some support. And they gave it to me. And I cannot believe the difference that that makes. And so I guess jumping all the way to the end where we start talking about advice, don't do this on your own. Yeah. If, if uh, that's what I say all the time. You know, both, both having uh, 
close friends that you trust. That's what that's what my uh, therapist and coach told me because I was so lonely. And uh, reach out to a few friends and share what you're going through because I was so ashamed of what I was going through that this failure. So I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. But uh, she said you need to, and uh, so I, I reached out to uh, four people, and it was mainly two of them that's also gone through divorce at the same time or a prior that I could feel that they could relate. So I really recommend you to, to talk to someone that's already gone through divorce. It's so, so difficult to understand if you've not been through it yourself, because those are the two friends, they listened, they were awesome, but I never felt that they could feel my pain. They could not put themselves in my shoes, if you put it that way. But to have a few people having a counselor, I know you've, you, you're using currently a counselor, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I went to, I had a counselor, I got a coach and a mentor. And I think getting a coach and a mentor was even better for me because he had gone through a divorce himself. So he can be a mentor sharing, you know, steps, you know, what to do and what not to do. And uh, also a counselor is more about, you know, dealing with past trauma and stuff. And then coaching is more dealing with the present and the future and, and the painting up a, a a great picture for the future. So I think uh, it's you can learn a lot. It's important to learn from your own mistakes and not do them again. And I know you in the process right now. It's a recent breakup. So what's going to happen now and in the next few years? So after the divorce, my stepson and I moved in together as roommates. Okay, so interesting. Trinity's son and I moved in as roommates. And, you know, I've been his dad basically for 18 years. So I'm just as close to him as his own father is. And his father's a great man, by the way, don't get me wrong. But we moved in together. And then my twin said, wait, you guys are going in together? Well, we want to come. So the four of us rented a house together, had an absolute party for 18 months. Here I'm this 53-year-old guy living with three 20-somethings, man. <laughs> but when the breakup happened three or four months later, I was looking for an apartment in Salt Lake. And my son, one of my twins said, dad, I'm not trying to get rid of you, but why are you looking in Salt Lake? You don't like it here. And it's about to be winter. And I thought, wow, he's really smart and I can work anywhere. I work from home. My company is, is virtual. So I thought he's right. I don't ever want to see snow again. As long as I'm alive. I basically threw a dart at a board, the Southern part of the United States, that is of course, and moved to Panama city beach, Florida. I'd never been here before, never talked to anybody here before. And I've never seen the place. I never saw my apartment before the day I walked in. I put a TikTok up of my walking into my apartment the first time. And that's true. That was a, literally the first time I saw it was on TikTok. And it's turned out great. I'm 200 feet from the, the ocean on this side. And I got a forest behind me on this side. It's a beautiful place. So I've just decided, you know what? I've spent my whole life as part of we, never just me. Oh. And now I'm me and I'm living my life. You know, after the divorce, I started dating right away for about a year. And uh, it was just dating because I was lonely and depressed. And uh, I realized after dating two women for about three months each that, uh, you know, I'm dating for the wrong reason. I usually say you attract what you project. If you're a broken, lonely, depressed person, that's the person you're going to attract. And that's not what I want. So I took two years off, no dating whatsoever. I think uh, you really need to heal yourself to to work on you know being 
the best version of yourself before you enter in, especially if you're looking for a long-term relationship, you know, you want to have marriage that lasts the rest of your life. I think it's important to, to fix you and loving yourself too, to be okay to be by yourself. I was very lonely. Now I'm in my house, you know, for the last few years, I've never been lonely. I never felt lonely, even though I'm alone. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a very powerful and it's kind of like a sign that you've actually worked through these uh, issues that you have when you're uh, being addicted to a relationship earlier. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, adding to that, it's an interesting challenge because my therapist has encouraged me to start dating and I'm going, yeah. why at this point? And this is, and I will tell you, remember we talked earlier that these, my last two relationships stole my future. They, yeah. they, the theft of my future. And that to me is what hurt. And I look at it and I say, until I'm willing to give somebody that kind of control again, I don't think I should be dating. And I told my therapist that, and she said, you need to learn how to date just to have fun. And I will tell you, I, I she said, why do you associate dating with marriage? And I thought, yeah. well, that's a dumb question, because my mom growing up, probably a thousand times in my lifetime, I've heard her say, Tommy, you marry who you date. And while that's usually true, unless you're in India and it's an arranged marriage, just because you go on a date doesn't mean you're getting married. And my whole life, no. even as a teenager, I remember thinking I'm going out with, I went out with this girl named Treasure, real name. And I thought, man, we could get married. And I'm like, I look back down and going, you were 17. And I'm not blaming my mom for anything. My brain had associated dating and marriage because of how many thousands of times I'd heard her say, you marry who you date. I'm not necessarily jumping on the bandwagon with my therapist to go out and start dating. I'm going to push back a little bit on her, nah. but I think, you know, sooner rather than later, I'll probably start dating at some point, but I, I'm going to do that in a way that is less commitment oriented, at least to begin with. The best ways to go into a romantic relationship is through friendship where you learn how to be awesome friends. Because if you can't be awesome friends, how are you going to be able to have a romantic relationship? So many people don't have real friends. You know, right. friends that you can talk to about anything and you enjoy being around and how to be a good friend. We talked about this shitstorm and Marco, what was up with that? Well, so, so like I said, Marco and I used to go to dinner every Tuesday night and he was a very close friend of mine. And, and I, he had been one of the very few people that I had shared. Remember when I said, I reached out to my network after she had her second affair, he was part of that network. He could see it before I did. Cause I didn't want to see it. So I was so proud. Remember I told you, I was proud to tell him how big of a jerk I had been and how like, man, I managed to stay mad all day long. And I told him some of the dumb things that I had said to Trinity and he listened very nicely, nodded his head, waited till I was done. And then he said, Tom. Here's the thing. You're living inside a cyclone that's just swirling around you and to you, because it's such so dense and so big, you can't see the world you're enveloped in shit. The rest of us can see your shit storm, but we're not inside it. So we can see you're going through it, but you're in it. And so everything you say right now is going to do basically one of two things. It's either not going to affect it at all, or it's going to make it worse. You cannot slow the shit storm down. That just has to take time. But if you say something bad or you're a jerk or you're a dick, as you say, it makes it worse. 
it adds more shit and makes it spin even faster. He said, so don't do anything to make it worse. And then he said, the second piece of advice. But then this is the piece where he said, no matter how nice you are, no matter how good you are, and no matter how false the allegations are, she is going to slander you. She is going to slander you to your friends, to your family, to everyone around. She's going to say Tom was a jerk or Tom did this or Tom did that. Don't give her the ammunition. And I'll tell you, it changed me. I got home that night from dinner and she was there and she was ready to fight and hands on hips. I mean, she was ready to go. And I just said, she said, what do you have to say for yourself? And I said, I'm sorry. But she said, what? I'm sorry for anything that I've ever said or done that hurt you. I'm sorry for anything I didn't say or didn't do that may have hurt you. I've never intended to hurt you in any way, shape or form. And if I ever have, I apologize profusely. No, but that's uh, being the bigger person too. I think that's uh, very uh, important. And it's so easy that it goes a downward spiral where you just throw, uh, like you said, shit against each other and it's never going to end. Also comes back to what we talked to earlier about forgiveness and, and to decide to, to go on with your life. It's uh, if you want a great life ahead, which, you know, you and I are about the same age and uh, I'm going to live on till I'm a hundred. So this is just a halfway. <laughs> we have a long time left. <laughs> Can I tell you though, Pear, what's interesting is that we lived in the same house for the next month, not in the same bed, of course. I spent that month as she was preparing to leave me for her boyfriend, pack her stuff, three of those pod storage things. Yeah. Uh, I helped her get her car ready to drive across the country. I went and picked up her U-Haul trailer for her. That evening with Marco literally changed my entire outlook because I would have basically told her to pounce in and do it on her own. But that moment with Marco changed me and I helped her get ready. And I'll tell you what, she has not spoken ill of me to anyone that I'm aware of. Not that I really give a crap about that, but it's no. more like, why give anybody the ammunition if you don't need to? So another question I had, what's an area that you have explored after divorce that you never let yourself do before or during. For example, for me, I played golf and tennis before I got married. I didn't play golf and tennis for 20 years while I was married. And I love it. I, I picked it up a few years ago and it's such a great way to get to know people. My tennis community is the best community there is. We have a tennis tournament next weekend. We have a Christmas party. We have a New Year's party. Such an awesome group of people. Is there anything that you didn't do when you were married that you have picked up now? Well, in my whole life revolves around my business right now. It's, we're just getting it off the ground. But one of the things that I could have never done while I was married to Trinity is form a business relationship. Trinity was never very entrepreneurial. So she didn't support anything that I wanted to do from an entrepreneurial standpoint, which by the way, this is not the first thing I've wanted to do. So I think for me, it's just really spreading my wings and doing the things that I can see the future for, and I can plan for it and work towards it. She was very much, in fact, we used to joke around. She was always said that she was the disaster prevention part of our marriage. And I was the disaster recovery part of our marriage because I'm the guy that's just going to jump in and go make it happen. You're just going to study it until you're dead. Okay. Action is important. And it seems like you've uh, been able to broaden your vision, you know, outside of the divorce, which I think is an opportunity that you have when you're single to, uh, to definitely do things that you couldn't do. 
So I think when you come to that point where you feel awesome yourself, then you're ready for a new relationship. I also think when you're not desperate for a new relationship, it's very attractive when you're like, okay, I'm just fine like I am. And when you're not desperate wanting somebody else, I think you're in a very good position to attract the right person as well. But uh, now we're coming to the the end of the podcast. It was such an awesome time hanging out. I knew it would be. And uh, I always end the podcast by asking a question. You know, if you have a listener right now listening to this podcast that are in a very poor state, just found out about uh, a divorce and uh, that they're lonely, depressed, what would your recommendation be? To, what are the first steps that that person should do? That's a great question. I would say that the, I think the first thing is kind of take stock and recognize that you're not alone. Uh, it, it's not, a, it shouldn't be a badge of shame that you got divorced. You should not think of yourself as a failure. So that's the first step I would take. The next thing I would do, I would go find a therapist or a counselor or a coach and begin building out and think of yourself as the coach, the head coach of your divorce team. And your first recruit is your counselor or coach or therapist. Yeah. And then don't go file for divorce tomorrow. Think it through. Uh, and I'm not saying don't get divorced. Build your team as it's needed. Don't go and form the whole team from day one. Yeah. So that would be my advice. I think I really like that, building a team and um, trying to keep it amicable as much as possible to, to have people around you in this process. Because... A lot of times when you act in fear, like both of you and I did initially in the divorce, yep. I think that fear can really mess things up and you make things, you, you make decisions that are very much not you, uh, you're acting in fear. And, and that's what I did. I got that, uh, vicious lawyer initially, if I've had that support team, I guarantee you, they would say, don't get that guy. He's vicious. It's just going to make things worse. But I didn't see that. Yeah. So. I will say your comment there about fear makes perfect sense. And, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. So, of course, you've got to talk about Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> anger, leads to anger, anger leads to hate. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. That, and that's unfortunately true in, in divorce as well. Absolutely. That should be the name of this episode. What do you call it again? Yoda. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Okay. I'll find you a clip and send it to you. Hey, Tom, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, I really look forward to, uh, to chatting in the future. Maybe we'll have an update in six months, how it's going with this dating and, and everything. And uh, the podcast and TikTok, we met on TikTok. That was awesome. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. <laughs>